Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris, and we are joined by a special guest today, John Fung, who is going to be joining us from Australia, believe it or not. So this is a late night podcast for us. We talk about the sunrise ones here at the beach. This is not one. This is going to be a late one. And, uh, and John, you woke up earlier to be with us this morning. Thank you, my friend, for being on the show. We are excited to have you here and to talk real estate in Australia compared to the United States, as well as your Uber background and uh, Google background as CRO. This is going to be an amazing podcast because I think it's going to shed a ton of perspective for our audience of different things in different parts of the country compared to what we're dealing with. So, John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Quinn. It is a great pleasure to be here. And uh, thanks for your service. A wonderful show that you have for us. Oh, man, we appreciate you saying that. And, you know, uh, I got to tell you, I'm I'm already loving the accent and we're only two sentences. In, <laughs> so uh, this is this is great. This is great. And I loved how you signed your emails, mate. Uh, that's That always is uh, I'm like, oh, man, this is uh, super cool. So, so, John, tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, for our audience, let's start with the simplistic format. You have a CRO background. Can you kind of break that's down right. what chief revenue officer means and, and what you've done at organizations like Google, Uber, and now with Domain. Sure. So chief uh, CRO stands for Chief Revenue Officer. And what it basically means is this is the person responsible to, for delivering the revenue for the whole company. And that's my job here at Domain. Domain is a about a 1,000-person company based in Australia. It's like a Zillow. It's like a Redfin. Uh, we help people find properties, and we help people sell properties, and we help real estate agents you know, make the match. Uh, so that's what I do, and I'm responsible for the revenue uh, of that particular company. Zero is similar to head of sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, I called it sales leader or head okay. of sales. I think the thing that's a little different is ultimately, yes, I'm responsible for the sales. I'm also responsible, in this case, for the customer support. Uh, you know, if people are unhappy or need help or have a have a problem, you know, I have a, a large customer support team that does that. My responsibility is to sell, but it's mostly to create the environment where sales happen. So, for example, maybe we need to have really, really uh, talented salespeople to sell multi-million dollar deals to big real estate agencies. And maybe we also need a self-service portal so someone who's just selling one small property can do it themselves. So it's a little different to a classic sales leader role where it's like, great, I'm on the road, I'm selling the whole time. I am on the road meeting with customers a lot, (laughs) but I'm often thinking about, is it easy for them to purchase? Are they getting the help they need? Is there an easier or better way of doing it? For example, self-service or upselling or things like that. So that's what my day-to-day comprised of. No, that's great. Thanks for breaking that down for us. And, you know, one of the things I heard you say there was it's like a Zillow. It's like a Redfin. Are Zillow and Redfin competitors of yours in Australia? Uh, no, Zillow and Redfin are only, as far as I know, in the US. Okay. Uh, and so we are only in Australia and, and parts of New Zealand. So uh, if we were in the same geography, we would be competing. But uh, there's real estate portals uh, like Zillow tend to be country specific gotcha. uh, because each country is quite idiosyncratic. Uh, and so we don't compete per se. Well, I love the fact that, um, you know, and I'm going to get into domain and what you guys are doing over there. And I love how you're bringing buyer sellers and, and renters and everyone together on one platform. It's a rather large one. Matter of fact, it's the largest over there. I can't wait to talk about it. But before we do, can, <laughs> can we unpack a little bit about your time at Uber, you know, and I think that, yeah, uh, yeah. and Google as well, for that matter. I mean, I know you were highly involved over there with the, uh, with the team at Google Cloud, but, you know, Uber... I, it's interesting to me. How long were you with Uber? How much time did you spend with them? I mean, not that long in the big scheme of things. I was there for two years, uh, from 2019 to 2021. Oh. So by that time, Uber was quite uh, was already quite strong. It was already the number one ride share. It was uh, after the kind of crazy startup days. Yeah. Uh, and my response to there was to grow the business section. 
Uh, so I ran, uh, I guess, the business accounts and customer engineering uh, for people using it for business travel and business eating. Yeah, and you had to do that. And let's let's talk about this. <laughs> Only there two years, but what felt like probably 10 years during 2019 right. and 2021, you're there during the height of COVID. And I mean, depending <laughs> on what part of the country, you know, and where this was taking place, everybody was using Uber to have stuff delivered to their house. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was I a mean, crazy it had to explode during that time. time. Yeah. So what happened just to play it through, and this is in the year 2020, of course, as we have tried to forget, but no doubt still remember, <laughs> um, you know, basically in March, 2020, April, 2020, the whole world fell apart and two right. things happened the number of people riding went down by 99%. I mean, who's going to take a car ride when you don't yeah. know what the pandemic, what this virus is, who you might catch it from, whether you're a rider or a driver. So it just, the entire river stream went to near zero overnight. And you had nowhere and, to go. Nowhere to go. And nowhere to go. Nowhere right. to go. I mean, the, the, the only people were, you know, public health workers and, and essential workers, you know, and that was very, very important, obviously. But for most people, like, no one was traveling. Everyone was at home. Uh, and at the same time, we had an explosion of Uber Eats. It was actually a, a quite a small business for us. And it went from being like, you know, you know, 10% of the business to almost 100% of the business, you know, overnight. So you had this kind of amazing diversification uh, for Uber. And, and it was really on the back of COVID that uh, not just Uber Eats, but DoorDash really exploded mm-hmm. uh, as, as at scale. So it was, I guess, in retrospect, it was very exciting. At the time, it was terrifying, yeah. I think, for everyone. Yeah. Well, you guys did a great job of pivot and, you know, your industry and, and what you guys did over there. But I think what I heard there was that, you know, Uber had always done ride shares and found the consumers want and met it with, the, you know, their need with how they could help. And then here comes yeah. COVID. They did the same thing. They found a consumer need and then they found that's a right. way to meet that need. And I think that's something that organizations like Uber and DoorDash have done a pretty damn good job of and uh-huh. how they've survived. And, and also, I, I shouldn't say survived, how they thrived uh, is really the, the real aspect of it. They've done a really good job. So it's cool that you were a part of that and, you know, yeah, that part yeah. of that pivot as well. And, you know, and uh, just talking a little bit about your time at Google, how long were you with the Google Cloud team over there? I was with Google overall for 13 years. It was a long time. I started that is a off long as a, time. Yeah. A long time. I started off as an intern in, uh, in Europe, uh, based out of London uh, in 2006, uh, and then joined full-time in Ireland, in Dublin, Dublin, Ireland. I was there for six and a half years. Uh, and during that time, I worked on both the search engine uh, in marketing, and then I, I, I took a sales position in Google Cloud. Wow. Uh, and I ended up in Google Cloud for 10 years, half that time in Ireland and half that time back in Silicon Valley. So, John, I got to ask you, and I know you probably have answered this question a million times. Have you seen the movie The Internship? I have definitely seen the movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So as soon as you said Google intern, that's the first thing that came to mind there. I'm like, oh that's man. Right. That's right. Yeah. But uh, what, a, what a great movie. That's what I was thinking and processing there. Owen Wilson and, you know, Vince Vaughn there. But uh, it sounds like yeah, it's a yeah. great place, company to work. You know, and the funny thing is, and, and I left Google four years ago, so, you know, things have changed and mm-hmm. it's probably, it's become bigger and probably a little bit more frugal uh, mm-hmm. since then, just given some of the, the things that have happened of late. Uh, but I really think the internship did a really nice job of capturing the feel of Google. That kind of beauty, that kind of curiosity, that naivety, that sense of fun, that geekiness. That's, uh, cool. that's what it really felt like to be there. It was really quite amazing. And a lot of the, the things, the perks, the free food, the the nap pods, the massages, they they were all true. That's, that's real. Really true at the time. So oh, wow. That is real. 
I'm not sure if it's still real, but it really did capture the feel of what it was like to be not just a Google intern, but at Google. I That's felt like a, a geeky kid in the candy store <laughs> for my time. That's awesome. So now you've made your way over to Domain in Australia. And, you yeah. know, let's talk a little bit about that platform. You know, you guys, you know, are out there meeting consumers' needs. Your your largest place where people can buy and sell uh, real estate and lease and rent, you know, real estate platform online. But you're taking That's people right. from all over the country and bringing them together to help do this. Plus, you know, bringing real estate agents together as well. And, That's uh, right. you know, and right. as, the, as the CRO, as we just discussed over there, you're also lead sales and, you know, director and all kinds of hats that you're wearing over there. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about uh australia real estate tell me what's going on over there because uh, i feel like we got a good grip over here on on the united states territory but i'd love to hear what's going on over there yeah and, and as i answer that question i think to your point the genius of whether it's domain the company work for an uber or, or even a, a, a monster.com and indeed.com any marketplace is that you're solving different people's problems at the same time love it right so for example uber you're solving i need to get from a to b i'm a writer but as a driver, I want to make $15, $20, $25 an hour at my, on my terms at my time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and that marketplace solved it at the same time, you know, and that's the genius of Uber, or DoorDash, and things like that. And, and at Domain, you know, you have three different problems. You have a buyer who wants to find a property. You have a seller who's trying to sell a property. And you have an agent who's trying to make a commission by bringing the buyers and sellers together. And that's basically our role, to make those three parties happy, to create a platform where they can come together uh, and meet each other in a way that's trusted, that's easy, that's fun, that, that inspires confidence. And so that's pretty much our world, <laughs> similar to, you know, what the Zillow those of the world are, are trying to do. Um, and in answer to your question, you know, what does that look like in Australia right now? Things are picking up. Okay. It's similar to where the US is at. It's a little different. I'll talk about some of the nuances right now. But effectively, we had COVID where we all thought the world was going to end. Mm-hmm. Then after COVID in America, we had one of the greatest real estate uh, booms in history yeah. in terms of two things, in terms of house prices and volumes. And they tend to play off each other. Uh, and you saw overnight, you know, increases of 10, 20% per year over the course of just over a year, just massive, massive increases, uh, which were kind of unexpected because we didn't know what to expect. Right. Then as interest rates started to go up, you know, 18 months ago, and you had this inflationary effect, which was not just transitory, but something where central banks like the Federal Reserve said, oh, okay, like we've got to get on top of this. Uh, Interest rates went up a long way and the expectations, they would keep going up, they would keep getting height. And interest rates are probably the single biggest, as you know, impact on house prices Mm -hmm. uh, because, oh, Interest rates are going up. I can't afford to borrow as much. And interest rates are going up. I'm not sure what that's going to mean. I will probably not try and sell my house now unless I really, really have to. And what you find is for every 100 sales, 70 sales have to happen, even in the midst of a recession because people are getting divorced and empty nesting. Someone has died. Someone's been born. That's kind of unavoidable. It's the 30%. The 30% of sales that can wait because Mm -hmm. it's an investment property or we need to sell but not right now. Right. And what we found is during the post-COVID boom, all of those discretionary sales got brought in. Anyone who could possibly sell, tried to sell. And then on the flip side, uh, what happened was once uh, once interest rates started going up, there was this uncertain environment, then anyone who could not sell tried not to sell, right? Anyone who could not buy tried not to buy. And that had an impact on both house prices going down, just people not being interested in buying, and then the amount of volumes uh, that people are trying to sell going way down. 
Uh, and that's how portals like like Domain make money, is the number of people trying to sell their house, as well as the number of people trying to buy a house. When those two plummeted, uh, it was a very difficult time for portals like us, for real estate agents, because the life just got sucked out of the market. Yeah. And so that was the past 12 months, you know, as you and many of your listeners who are in property know. Uh, though the past three or four months, it's really picked up again in Australia as inflationary expectations has stabled. And now the expectation is they've just about peaked, maybe one more hike, but we'll probably go down next year or two. And people have adjusted their behavior uh, as a buyer. They go, okay, well, interest rates are high. I can't afford this much, but I can afford this much. And they feel that stability. Well, unemployment actually hasn't gone up that much. We're probably not going to get a recession. I'm probably not going to lose my job. Or if I do lose a job, I'll probably find another one. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I have the confidence as a buyer to actually get back into the market. And so you've got seller confidence that kind of prices are coming back, that you know there's enough liquidity in the market. You've got buyer confidence. And so as a result, both volumes and house prices in Australia are picking back up again. Yeah, no, John, that was a great answer. There's a lot to unpack there, man. So let's uh, let's go through here because you're now talking my language, right? You're in our wheelhouse over here. Inflation, interest rates, Federal Reserve, that is what we do all day long. So let's start with, you know, when buyers look for homes and do they typically turn to, the, to an online platform first? Is that normal yes. tendency over there? Okay. Same kind of a little bit over here as well. They turn to the online, start scouring themselves, and then they find an agent, right? Okay. So same concept. What is your current, you know, you talked about the Federal Reserve, you know, over in Australia, what's the current interest rate? Give me an, give me an interest rate of what we're looking at over there. It's about 4% right now. 4%. and that's again, not the, that's not the retail rate. Uh, that's the the rate that you know the government is charging. Right. So, so that's your that, that's your that that would be your equivalent to our Fed funds rate. So that's right. your four yeah, yeah. percent there. So if it, what would an average consumer obtain a mortgage at over there? Six to seven percent. Okay, so we're uh, right in the same now. we're in the same ballpark almost. Just about we might be a little higher over here right now. You know, are you yeah. guys seeing? Um, you know, you talked about how you know there was inflationary concerns. What is what does inflation in Australia look like right now? Inflation has come down a long way, not okay. as much as the U.S., but it's around 6%. 6%. Right? It peaked about 9 or 10%. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a few months ago, and it's come down very rapidly, similar to the U.S. Yeah. And so I think it's important for our audience to understand. So, you know, we talk about this on here that when the Federal Reserve goes on these rate hikes like they're doing, the amount of pressure that they apply to the central banking system is is tremendous. And I think a lot of people can't understand it when we say it. And you're talking about it firsthand here because, you know, for a lot of people, they don't understand that when we raise rates over here at the rapid rate we're doing, the dollar becomes stronger. And that's not by intention. It's just a byproduct of them raising it. So what central banks and other countries have to make a decision is say, well, do we want our currency to stay weaker, you know, and keep deteriorating? Or do we want to move at the pace the Federal Reserve is moving at? Maybe not the same rate hikes, but we need to have rate hikes in the similar manner in order to keep up with the inflated dollar. Because that's literally what it is. It's inflated at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that the challenge that Federal Reserves outside of the US have is because they're trying to, they're trying, and the Euro Bank is a different challenge because they right. have like you know, 30 countries they're trying to manage. But if I just take Australia, you are trying to satisfy multiple goals with the same sledgehammer, which is interest rates. So one is, as you talk about, you don't want that disparity between Australia and the US, which is one of the most traded two currencies in the world. But you don't want it to be too big. If suddenly the US, you know, funds is that much more attractive, you'll see this flight of capital away from Australia. Mm -hmm. And that will have implications for, you know, the cost of imports, you know, the cost of investing, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a reason to hike interest rates. Uh, Of course, or to follow the US interest rates as they go up. The flip side is, of course, the more you raise interest rates, the more you affect the local investing environment, the more you discourage investment employment you know, in Australia. And right now, over the past year, those goals have been aligned. 
Australia is trying to keep up with the US and make sure the investment environment is kind of similar. And they have tried to take the heat out of the economy, just like the US has. Mm-hmm. There have been any jobs per unemployed person in Australia. Uh, it's been very easy to get capital. And then, you know, it's been easy, therefore, for businesses to heat up, consumers to spend a lot, and business be able to kind of raise prices, which results in inflation. The problem we're going to have in Australia is if those goals diverge. Mm-hmm. Right. That is, if the US keeps rates high because they want to keep uh, its environment not too hot um, and Australia wants to cut its rates because maybe unemployment starts to tick up as it is, it's still under 4%, but it's gone up a, a few tenths of a percent over the past few months. That's when you might have some challenges because sure. of like, oh, it's a lower rates to get people investing again and spending again. But actually, we want to keep rates high so the US doesn't look too attractive to Australia. So it's going to be interesting how the second year plays out. But so far, we've been kind of in lockstep. No, that's great. Do you feel like employment over there is easy to find, uh, but hard to find workers? So if you're an employee and you want to find a job, it's available. But for employers, it's tougher for the employers to find the help to satisfy the position. Yeah, it's it's a very similar dynamic to the U.S. Okay. Uh, in the sense that what has happened over the past or since COVID is particularly blue-collar workers have increased wages significantly, and they have had a lot more, I guess, purchasing power as employee, okay. right? So their salary has gone up, and there's many, many jobs, whether it's in services or construction or things like that, where it's like, oh, wow, we have many jobs to choose from. Uh, it's an interesting dynamic. For example, in Australia, we're trying to construct more homes. We have a lot of immigration coming in. Everyone wants to move to Australia. Uh, we're trying to build more properties, build more developments, more, more condos, et cetera, et cetera. They can't find enough builders, yeah. because the, the number of builders hasn't grown as much. Builders have become better paid uh, and actually now don't need the overtime spend. So actually the amount of building capacity has gone down even as the desire you know, for, for new, new construction has gone up. So it's this dynamic where the employee, the worker, actually has a lot of choices still, whether they're employment, uh, whether in instruction, in services, to a lesser extent white collar, but that's an extent, uh, but that's true as well. Uh, so, and and that's a reflection of a lot of jobs available and still a relatively low three point seven percent unemployment rate. Wow. Now, when the builders are not building as much, obviously that's putting constraint on your inventory. Is that making it's it? Because you, you mentioned yeah. earlier, you got these sellers. We call it the lock-in effect. They're locked into that current interest rate they have. They've got that low payment. They don't really have a need to move. You know, I got in a spirited debate with someone the other day about, oh man, they, they told me these sellers are just gonna have to lower their prices. And I said, well, I can't wait to hear this. Please tell me why you think that. And they said, well, if they're gonna sell their home because of affordability of the interest rates, they're gonna have to lower the price. And I'm like, I think that's the issue. They don't have to sell their homes. They've got these low yeah. interest rates, you know, and, and unless they get divorced or a death in the family or the household formation becomes so big, you're gonna have, they're gonna name their price. I mean, they don't need exactly. to sell it, you know? Are you guys experiencing <laughs> the same thing? Yeah, we've seen both. It's probably most profound actually in the rental market. Okay. So typical vacancy rates at two to three percent. It's been well under one percent in Australia for a long time. Wow. Right. And that is just you know if you want a rental, you're going to pay a lot of money, right? Wow. And you may not find what you want, right? So you've got that supply constraint, which is very significant for people who don't own a house, which is almost half the population. And then the flip side, you're right. What's the same dynamic in selling? Like people don't want to sell. They don't want to sell if the house prices have gone down. If they think they can't get a good price, and if they think that they their own financial situation is a bit insecure, they're only going to sell it. They absolutely have to. They absolutely have to. And so that's what's been the case for the last 12 months, where like people just held off, held off, held off, right? So you've got a lack of options for buyers and for renters, and sellers and landlords are kind of like holding on, right? Now, as I said before, it's unthawing uh, quite a bit, actually, because you've got that stability, because it's unlikely to be a recession in Australia, uh, and because buyers have been back for a while and prices are coming back up, sellers are going, oh, okay, I think I can sell my house. I think I mm. will sell my house. 
I don't have to. And so that's why we're seeing a recovery in the Australian market. That's correct. Probably much more so the American market right now. Yeah. So it sounds like you have buyers that have settled in. They know the interest rate. They know it's not moving in the direction that's going to be lower like it was two years ago. They've already wrapped their head around that. They're adapting their price points to that interest rate. Is there a theology that, you know, you continue to, you may not be getting 10, 20% appreciation, but you're still seeing appreciation in your market because of lack of inventory. And then there's rent demand that's happening. So you got to make a choice. Am I going to overpay for rent or am I going to suck it up and buy this house? So is there, is there a notion that, Hey, listen, buy now at this interest rate, you can always refinance later. Is that something you guys are preaching and, and really selling hard over there? Yeah, I would say, so a few different comments. Um, I think our philosophy as a company, and, and certainly my personal philosophy, is you should buy at the time the time that's right for you. Okay. Don't try and time the market. Maximize your time in the market. Okay. Right? That's I like very that. much our, that's very much my philosophy. And, and okay. certainly as an investor myself, I've been investing in, in property and houses in you know, the last 25 years. I've always done that. I said, like, I, I don't know when the market is. Mm-hmm. All I know is my circumstance, when I have money, what my goals are, and that's what I'm going to solve for, and trust the market over time will look after me. So that's one point. Just to go back to your point about price increases and decreases. So again, I'll quote very similar numbers to the US. You had this pandemic, prices went down by 10% overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, Post-pandemic, over the next 18 months, prices went up by 20, 30% you know, in, a, in a year and a half. Astonishing growth. And then that kind of peaked you know, about, you know, uh, I would say 15, 18 months ago. Okay. And then since then, we've seen decline in Australia from peak to trough of about 10 to 15%. Okay. Right. And again, that's you got to remember that's come after an increase of twenty to thirty percent. So house prices are generally still higher. Again, I'm making national generalizations in Australia here. Still higher than they were, kind of like two or three years ago, but they've come down ten to fifteen percent from their peak. And people okay. are anchored down. Oh, my house is worth this much. Now it's worth this much. I'm not going to sell until it gets back here. As a result of the lack of supply, as a result of the economy recovering a little, right? The confidence returning a little. Of that ten to fifteen percent drop, about half of that has been recovered. Wow. So now they're about only about five, seven percent off their peak. Places mm-hmm. like Perth and Adelaide uh, are are actually at new peaks. Sydney's only down two, three percent off their peak, right? So you're seeing a lot of these markets where house prices are near all-time highs again. Uh, and that's why you're seeing a lot of sellers going, okay, great. I'm gonna cash out. I really need to do a year ago, but I've been holding on. So that's the dynamic that we're seeing in Australia, which I know is a little different to many parts of the US. But so we're seeing that confidence return, which is which is nice after yeah. a difficult 12 to 18 months. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. You know, we're at a, we're at a standstill right now, and there's certain pockets, yeah. of course, in the U.S. that are going to have a different outlook. But what you have here is we have a seller mm-hmm. that, 
you know, the property continues to go up. It's it's at two, three percent in some areas, some it's at ten, but it's still going up in these high interest rate environments because <laughs> it's simple economics for us. It's supply and demand. We have too many buyers oh, yeah. and not enough properties. And and we can't keep up with these new buyers that are coming to the market, which is a new age group of of birth rate millennials every year that are making their way to the market. We just can't keep up with their demand and the current demand. And so We've got this standstill where sellers are going, well, John, if I'm going to sell you my home, here's my price, right? That's and right. and right. you're going, oh, God, I, I don't know if I want to do this, but I mean, we keep missing out on these homes. We're just going to go ahead and do it. We'll bite the bullet. We'll do it. And then we get into this inspection period, right, of the contract and something that would be considered normal or not crazy causes a rift between the buyer and the seller because the buyer's like, well, if I'm going to pay this for the property, it better be perfect. And the seller's like, ah, hey, listen, this happens all the time. <laughs> I'm not changing anything. I don't have to sell this home. And we see deals fall apart. I think last month, the totally. stat was that 15% of all transactions that were under contract oh, wow. fell apart last month. And we've got this, I've just got this, this budding of heads right now. And that's a market that's real for us. And until, you know, and, and, and we're even starting to see some multiple offers come back. And when these interest rates, and I'm sure in your market, this is going to happen too, when these interest rates do recede and come down, and that's going to happen, it might happen in the next six or the next 12 or next 18, but when it happens, this lock-in effect that's going to become unlocked is going to create a frenzy of buyers. And it's going to be like musical chairs of real estate all over again. Might be the biggest year (laughs) I've ever seen. I know. It'll be be feast and famine, right? And and I'll tell you one factor that's actually different to the US. And and. Uh, just so you know, I, I still follow the US market quite closely because most of my investments are still there. Okay. Uh, I, I only moved back to Australia two years ago. So we we lived in the US for 10, 15 years. So that's Yeah, I can I, tell you keep up with you. You're very up. sharp on what's going on. <laughs> but you know, one thing that, that's good and bad about the US, or it's it's good, but it has some side effects like it caused the freeze that you're talking about right now, is we have 30-year mortgages in the US. And that's mm-hmm. what most people have, right? Like it's two-thirds of, of mortgages in the US in 30 years. And, and certainly for us, that's what we we've tried to lock in. Uh, in Australia, that's not the case. Okay. In Australia, most people don't lock in. And if you lock in, it's for two years. Right? Wow. And, and the reason behind that is we don't have mortgages that are traded as securities, like bonds, okay. uh, which is, I think, a very positive, sophisticated market that the US has. And so what that, that means is when the interest rates uh, have, have gone up, right, actually everybody pays that. Not just new home buyers, like is in the US, mm-hmm. but everybody pays that. And in some ways, that really hurts for someone who's bought property here in, the, in Australia uh, in the past year. You know, you see that you don't have like this honeymoon period of seven years, 30 years, whatever it is. Your, your interest rates are going up. They're variable, uh, both up and down. The, the, and in the US, that's not the case, right? If you've got a 30-year mortgage, even if, you know, it's 7%, uh, you know, for a new mortgage now, you're locked in at 3% or right. 2.8% you got. And the problem that is, if you go back to why would a seller sell, it actually raises the bar for a seller to sell. Because the seller sells and they're intended to buy, again, which many sellers are because they're downgrading or empty nesting or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that means they're going to pay much, much more for their mortgage. They're going to lose that 30-year mortgage. Right. So they're going to go from 2% to 7%. And so that means if you're a seller in the US, everything's going to be perfect. Right. It's going to be perfect. Right? And so like that's why you're seeing these deals fall apart, right? Because people are going take it or leave it, man. Like, if you don't want to buy, then I don't want to sell, man. Like, it's it's fine, right? And and so, whereas in the Australia, you're already paying these high rates. Some people are actually selling because they're distressed, that right? Because now, 
So it actually has meant the U.S. has had to be more aggressive with interest rate hikes because mm-hmm. they have to push harder for people to feel the pain, which will then also drive inflation down. In Australia, that pain gets felt earlier because everyone is paying more on their mortgage unless you bought in the last one or two years. Wow, that's incredible. So just so that I can recap for our audience, you're saying that you can only lock interest rate in for two years in Australia, and then the following years, everyone shares in whatever hikes or you win in whatever that's decreases right. happen during that time as well. Right. So because that's of right. the pain point of L home owners after year two are filling and sharing in that rate hike, it does inspire them for affordability purposes to maybe sell earlier and often. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's I think in, in times like this, it is a, it means that the Federal Reserve or the Reserve Bank, as we call it in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their impact is seen more quickly. Yeah, I can see uh, that. Which is ultimately a good thing. Ultimately yeah, well, you yeah. know, you get, it's, you're getting your results much faster than we are. You know, if you're tackling <laughs> inflation, you raise that, you're going to see a quicker, it, it gets felt to the consumer much quicker then you know we have to go through this credit tightening cycle, and then that has to go through the cycle to make its way down right. to the consumer, which is you know usually about a at minimum a twelve month cycle. I mean, you're seeing yeah, yeah. you're probably seeing it, and you know, you can see it in three months there, depending on what year that person's interest rate expires. That's incredible. That it's is incredible. Right. Oh wow. So you know, uh, talking about you know real estate here, our average first time home buyer is about thirty two years old, thirty three years old. How does that look in Australia? I don't know what the average age is. Okay. Um, what we are finding is that the age of home buyers and owners is getting older. Okay. Uh, because particularly in places like Sydney and Melbourne, the uh, the average price is, is just very very high. And unlike the US, we have over half the over half the country live in those basically those around those two cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in those cities, the average selling price is about you know almost a million dollars, a million US dollars. So actually, the affordability wow. for most people it's imagine that most of the country was a San Francisco or a New York. Right. That's what it feels like to be in Australia. So we actually have home buyers who are getting older. Uh, you know, and a lot of home buyers can't afford the deposit or they're borrowing from their mum or, mum or dad. Yeah. I think 40% of buyers here in Australia need family funds in order just to make their deposit. Man, that's, wow. It's incredible. I'm saying we have our fair share of that here, but definitely not. I mean, I couldn't imagine the whole country having to live in San Fran or New York price points. And that would be, uh, that would be a big, <laughs> big, big issue. Um, you know, it just, it, it would, it would be devastating to us. Thank goodness that, that that's not the case there. So you uh-huh. know, obviously you go around, you do a lot of speaking. You can tell you're sharp as a tack, man. You know, your stats, you know, uh, what's going on. You're, you're top, you know, top 40 speaker, you know, doing this kind of topic manner here, which you go out and you do a lot of presentations on this are you talking yeah. mainly to real estate agents or are you talking to consumers? Like what's your what's your platform aimed at? So my particular platform as the chief revenue officer is primarily at real estate agents uh, in okay. Australia. So there's about 55,000 of them in Australia, about 10,000 real estate offices. It's much, much more in the US, but still a very, a very meaningful, a very rich industry here. Yeah. And my job is to, is to help them make decisions because ultimately they are trying to bring buyers and sellers together. Uh, and you know we're giving them information. We have a lot of information domain. We have a lot of researchers, economists. We're sharing what's happening in the market. Uh, and we're trying to create products that are really appealing to both buyers and sellers and agents. Uh, so that's a lot of what I get to do. Uh, we publish a lot of information for mums and dads. So we uh, in partnership with the, the largest newspapers here in Australia. So we're constantly publishing artic- multiple articles a day about what's going on in the market. Also things like what celebrities are buying. Like it's all sorts of stuff to people interested and aware and building their their property knowledge. Uh, so that's a lot of what we do to the consumer so that um, you know when, when it comes time for them to buy or sell and work with an agent, they're more educated. Oh, that's great. I mean, I, I love that concept. And, uh, you know, we've got a, um, a a co-host of mine that's on the show quite a bit, Dr. Alex Stewart, and he's with the Market Distillery. He does a lot of the similar things you just described. And uh, oh, I, think cool. it's just, yeah. I think it's just a really cool, um, you know, it's a really cool value add to your partners or to real estate agents in general. But did I hear 55,000 real estate agents in Australia? 
Yes, that is true. The oh, fifty-five thousand. We, we now, I think, I think we would kill to have that here. We, we'd sell some properties if we had fifty-five thousand agents in the entire United States. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, like I think the number is it's, uh, it's about ten to twenty times the U.S. It's a lot. Yeah, uh, I think like the Xperia or a Keller Williams might even have that many agents themselves. Right. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we do. We have close to uh, a million agents in in, 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 in the your, country. In yes. the country, and it's like you know, and that's our biggest challenge. We talk about it all the time. Is that you know when you have too many agents and you have so little property sales, there becomes the feast or famine thing that you talked about. It was like, oh man, here we go. So it's, yeah. it, it definitely makes for a difficult market there. So, you know, as, as, as we kind of start to close out the, the podcast here, tell um, our, 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 tell our audience here a little bit more about domain and if they want to find yeah. more information out about domain, what's the best way for them to take a look at that? Sure. Well, I know most of this audience is not based in Australia. We publish a lot of white papers uh, just about the Australian property market and what's happening economically. Uh, our website is domain, D-O-M-A-I-N, dot com, dot A-U. Okay. Uh, that will take you to the main portal uh, where you can search for properties. But if you want to look at our research, go domain.com.au slash research, R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty connected on LinkedIn. That's where I do a lot of posting of my own insights and things like that. And, and my name, you can see in the podcast, but uh, John Fung, F-O-O-N-G. I don't think there's too many John Fungs in Australia. Uh, <laughs> you'll find me pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, but I uh, certainly would love to connect with you in the industry and, and we can learn from each other. Yeah, I tell you what, man, you're very active on LinkedIn. I know we've been connected for uh, a few weeks now here, but I see all the activity posts on there and all the stuff you're doing. It's great. And uh, I always associate, like, excuse me, appreciate associating with people with like minds and, you know, and, and learning more. Like I took so much out of what we talked about today from just a, a global skill. I appreciate you sharing Excellent. that and kind of bringing it down to the U S level to help kind of my audience and myself understand that a lot uh, easier to digest as, as kind of understanding what's going on over there. So I just appreciate you being on the show. And I mean, again, let me, let me repeat for the audience here. My man got up early in the morning in Australia time to meet with us uh, to do this here. And if if you don't understand the time difference, it's we're not talking two three hours here. So it is uh, it is uh, it is a uh, it is definitely different time scale here. But you know. I just really appreciate you coming on the show today, uh, sharing your knowledge with us about your market and then relaying it, how it equates to our market. I think our audience is absolutely going to love this and appreciate it. You know, and guys, if you like what you're hearing, five-star review this podcast, please leave some notes on here for us. Check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to have some graphs. We're going to have some things that we spoke about in here on the show, on the channel. If you subscribe, you can find that at What's Your One More with the number one. And then check us out on our socials. We're going to have a lot of reels from this episode on there that we're going to share at What's Your One More on all platforms. And John, just can't thank you enough for being on the show, my friend. This was a fantastic episode. And I love talking real estate and I love talking economics with people, especially people that know a lot about it as well. So your insight was wonderful today. Thanks for being on the show, my friend. Thanks, Quinn. Uh, great to be on here. And uh, credit to your listeners for building, you know, this great industry, this great profession. Oh, See thank, you thank you. See you soon. I got one more shot, I'm going to make it. One more chance, I'm going to take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah.